One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Wow! Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. The following is a presentation of the Four Center podcast feed. Center of the Galaxy, this is the Four Center Podcast feed. I'm Ken Napsok for another edition of Spotlight Star Wars, episode 98. And I know as of late, and I say late over the last year, we've tried to alternate Star Wars ranked and Spotlight Star Wars on Sundays here on the Four Center Podcast feed. But hey, little change of plans. A little change every once in a while. Not a bad thing. Uh, I want to do back-to-back episodes because I wanted to follow up with something uh, we did last week on Spotlight Star Wars and do kind of a follow-up and a continuation. We talked about the first spark of Star Wars love. What is that thing, that moment, that feeling, that sequence 
What is it about Star Wars that got you to fall in love with it that very first time? I think we all have that story, that little spark that ignites. It's either in you or it's not. When I meet people who aren't aren't Star Wars fans, and I'm not talking about, oh, yeah, I like the movies. I'm talking to people who are like, nah, I don't like Star Wars. They don't have that moment. They don't connect. That's fine. That's them. Do I grieve for them a little bit? Maybe. Maybe. But I don't want to... uh, I don't want to have that uh, holier-than-thou attitude. Uh, Things just don't connect. I don't connect to superhero movies like other people do. That's just the way it goes. Star Wars is in your blood. It's like, dare I say, midi-chlorians. That's right. So I wanted to do a follow-up, because last week I I shared my spark. And hey, it's Spotlight Star Wars, a monologue from me to you. But this week I wanted to have stories from other people, from other fans. And I went to the Force Center Patreon page, and I I put a call to action, and uh, we do that on the page. Uh, Joseph's so great at uh, uh, collecting questions from you guys on Patreon. Uh, he drives point on that, and it's uh, you guys always give him such amazing questions for us to ask on the main show that we love pulling from him. We try to pull two from the Patreon page every episode, but uh, we could probably pull more. You guys really put some thought into it. So I, I went in uh, and I asked, I asked uh, you guys to maybe, if you're interested, share your spark. Share your first love of Star Wars. And then I wanted to share that with you guys. It is, uh, it is always fun to have your guys' voice involved in what we do. That's why it's important to ask those questions from you guys. It isn't just about answering uh, who's our favorite Wookiee. We want to know your perspective. That's what Force Center is about. We love building the Star Wars community, uh, especially in this post-Last Jedi world, which, uh, you know, sometimes can be a little combative. It's just the way the way of the world now, and we want to uh, celebrate Star Wars with you guys, and I can't think of a better way than to read your word. So if you'll indulge me, uh, you Force Center audience, I'm going to take a moment, take some time to read uh, these comments here, and maybe you can find a connection with their story, something similar, something that will uh, sound like your own personal spark of your first Star Wars love, that first moment you were pulled in. Uh, this is also, we got, we got stories from around the world, around generations. We've got prequel kids, special edition kids. We've got, uh, 1977 kids. We have it all. We have it all here of when Star Wars reached out like a loving force grip and said, come here. We're going to have a good life together as movie and fans, franchise and fans. So. Here we go. First one comes from Ryan Wendorf. He says, For me, it was all about how the toys connected with the movie. Specifically, my oldest memory of Star Wars was playing with my dad and his old Kenner toys. Hey, watch that old word. While watching A New Hope on VHS. Those toys brought the universe of Star Wars to the physical world and allowed my dad and I to bond outside of just the movie. One year when I was about five, he said I was, quote, old enough. I wasn't sure what he meant, but proceeded to pull out a large box uh, from his closet. From inside the box, he pulled out a Kenner TIE Fighter, and then a TIE Advanced, and then an X-Wing, and then the Millennium Falcon. That Christmas, I then got the giant Power of the Force at I had no idea that it even existed. It was so cool. At the time, I thought I had Santa to thank, didn't we all? But it was still my dad behind the scenes. To this day, Star Wars has remained the biggest connection to my dad. He brought a fantastic world into my life at a young age, and it was our shared love of the toys that sparked the fandom 
for many years to come. And I love that, the connection with the toys, Ryan. If you've watched the toys that made us, the guys who were, who were responsible, uh, the folks over, over at Kenner, uh, to in, in creating the Star Wars line and and how it was so haphazard and put together so fast, uh, following a little bit before and mostly following a New Hope. But I love what they say about it. it's 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 a deep seated psychological thing. You see something on the screen, you connect with it. You want to take a part of that home with you. You want to take a part of that into your life, and that's for a lot of us the importance of toys and collectibles. Uh, for me, I do collect a lot of things and keep them in the box and all that stuff, but I still I look at that and it means something. When I look at Vader, I have a Vader figure right in front of me here that I, uh, it's, it's probably a Black Series figure from about 10 years ago, a little three and three quarters. And it is just, it, it represents part of my life, part of my interests, part of what I do. And for you to have it connected, Ryan, to your father, uh, I love that. There was a neighbor of mine when I was living in Orange County growing up, and he, uh, you know, probably in his mid-20s at the time, to me, he was so old and wise and esteemed, and he had those Star Wars toys, and he would uh, uh, show them to me and my father, and I remember just like, wow, that's... It's there. It's right in front of me. And I still remember them. I still remember the C-3PO carrying case, the Darth Vader carrying case he had them in. So, Ryan, that's a great story, and I'm sure you are not the only one to connect with the toys to take it home and to find bigger meaning in those little hunks of plastic. Josh Eddy writes, There are two memories of mine that I've held on to as the spark of my love for Star Wars. The first one is an image in my head of holding the VHS copy of the 1995 re-release of A New Hope, the last one before the special editions came out. I just remember looking at the cover of Darth Vader in the back with Obi-Wan and wanting to, to pop into that VCR. The second, more substantial memory was going to see the special edition re-releases of the trilogy in theaters. I color myself lucky to be a seven-year-old kid who was able to see the the original trilogy on the big screen, regardless of special editions. It was Star Wars to me. What really stands out from seeing them is when we got got out of The Empire Strikes Back, and I was confounded that Luke lost his hand. I had never seen anything like that in a movie. I asked my dad and his friends we were with, and they explained to me that it wasn't real. It was movie magic. From then on, I was completely enthralled with where cinema could take me. My friends and I replayed scenes, mostly from Empire, Return of the Jedi, over and over for years. Then, bam! Two years after the special editions came out, the prequels began with The Phantom Menace when I was nine. I have literally grown up with Star Wars in my life. I cannot remember a time in my life where I didn't know Star Wars. My love of films and my love of Star Wars are intertwined, like a symbiotic relationship. That's all about Phantom Menace lessons there. And I know no matter what, I'll be watching in the theaters or subscribe to the internet streaming services or reading the books and discussing with anyone willing to listen. So, well, thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing, Josh. And that's our first mention of what I call the prequel generation of uh, young seeing it for the first time, being wide open, uh, you know, eyes wide open and pulled into that world. And then the re-releases uh, were important as well. I know a lot of people, of course, Maude Garrett, back when we used to host Jedi Alliance together, I mean, that was her first taste of Star Wars, where it was the re-releases, the special editions. So even though I've got some problems with those, you know, Jedi Rocks, uh, Han walking over Jabba, Sarlacc Pit now looking like uh, it was uh, from Little Shop of Horrors. Yeah, there's some issues with that. But it is the gateway for a lot of people. And for me to see it on the big screen back in the day, I remember about, well, I bought tickets, uh, back-to-back showings. It was, it was a thing to see Star Wars again, as the ads say, see it again for the first time. But for many, it was the first time. That's why they always have a special place in the Star Wars legacy. Thank you for sharing, Josh. 
Connie She writes, I found my first spark of Star Wars love with Luke's green lightsaber in the Ewoks of Return of the Jedi. The movie itself was my first introduction as a kid to, the, to Star Wars on the big screen back in 1983. I was hooked from the moment Luke somersaulted off the plank, caught his lightsaber from R2, and ignited the green. I became fascinated with lightsabers and their different colors. To this day, I enjoy the lightsaber duels and battles and believe the sequence aboard the de- uh, desert skiff is the reason why. I also absolutely fell in love with the Ewoks. I had never seen anything like them and thought they were furry teddy bears. I even recall telling my mom that they were brown care bears. That's, I'll accept that as canon, Connie. Even though the Ewoks have been made fun of and maligned over the years as an eight-year-old, they were everything to me. I love seeing them help the rebels in the Battle of Endor. My love of Ewoks has endured and since translated into a small love of a love for small creatures in Star Wars. Most recently, the Lothcats, Porgs, and of course, Volptises. Return of the Jedi will always be my number one favorite film in the franchise because it sparked my first love and introduced me to a galaxy far, far away. I think Connie's story is a story that is shared by many. Uh, Definitely Return of the Jedi, even though I technically saw New Hope first as a one-year-old baby, Return of the Jedi was my introduction as well. And that's what I talked about last week in my first spark of love. And it was Luke igniting that lightsaber. On top of Jabba's uh, uh, sail barge when he gets up there and that famous pose and that whole sequence, it was like, what is going on? And that is the one, as I said last week, I reenacted on the playgrounds time and time again. So it is action. It is this hero's moment. And then the Ewoks. Look, people sometimes, I, I've seen it before. Uh, they, they, it was, we do receive some small critiques here at the Force Center podcast for being, well, too celebratory, too open to all things and, and afraid to criticize. Look, I'll rally against my puffer pigs and space, uh, space whale ships. Uh, and I, I'm not a giant fan of the Ewoks anymore, more, but as a child, I was where Connie was too. I never questioned it. I was just at the right age. I'm sure it was, if I was a little bit older, the Ewoks would have stood out. But I, I struggle to be uh, blatantly grumpy and uh, full of criticisms of the Ewoks because there are many, like Connie, Jennifer Landa, and myself, who sat in the theater in 1983 or watched it at home for the first time whenever you saw Jedi at a certain age and were like, oh, gosh, these little teddy bears are awesome. That's why we here at Four Center say, we heart murder bears. And you can get that shirt on Public. So I love that. Great share, Connie. One a moment, I'm sure, felt by a lot. Jeremy Shook writes, When I was 11, my friend had a Star Wars birthday party. It was in 1997, so I remember he got the special editions on VHS. We watched A New Hope that night. I liked, but I didn't love it. Fast forward to 1999, and everyone had to see The Phantom Menace. Now, I agree The Phantom Menace is definitely not the best Star Wars movie, but it's what made me fall in love with Star Wars. Everything from Maul to Obi-Wan was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. That Christmas, I got the original trilogy on VHS, and my love and collection has grown ever since. Jeremy, that's awesome. All right, that's a front and center, the prequel generation. I learned... Pretty fast when I was co-hosting Jedi Alliance with Mod Garrett that you have to be careful with your prequel jokes. And I have prequel jokes. And I have prequel concerns. But you have to be careful. There's a lot of people who for the first time stared up on the screen and saw Darth Maul, saw young Obi-Wan, saw that Padawan braid, and said, this is a world and a galaxy I want to play in. So I love that. It's a true prequel story from Jeremy. I love also the mentions of the VHS tapes. 
It's going to come up again and again and again. And I have mine on a shelf. I wish I still had my Phantom Menace VHS. I don't know what happened to that. I've got to dig that up. Jean-Paul Comers writes, My first introduction to Star Wars was a Phantom Menace pod race scene. There it is again when I was about 10 years old. I loved the crazy creatures and species that were from different from any other sci-fi fantasy show or movie I'd seen before. By the time the movie ended, I'd fallen in love with the Jedi, Sith, the lore, and scope of the galaxy. And I've been loving it ever since. Phantom Menace is my favorite Star Wars movie. That spot belongs to Return of the Jedi, though I still love them prequels. Thank you, Jean-Paul. I love uh, the focus on the Jedi, the Sith, the lore, and the scope of the galaxy. It was big at the time. That's, I think, one of the strengths of the prequels. George expanding his own universe in his own way and adding in some things we had not seen before. The word Sith was uh, only read in a description of Darth Vader, a dark lord of the Sith. We didn't know much about it. By 99, expanded universe content had had done uh, some of that work for us. This was George's first real dive into it, the first foray, and I can totally agree with Jean-Paul looking at this scope, this giant galaxy, and finding a corner to appreciate it all. Thomas Shalon writes, My dad took me to see the special editions in the theater when I was six, but my first real memory of Star Wars is watching A New Hope when it was the Saturday night movie of the week on TV. My parents sat my brother and I down on their bed, and we watched the movie as a family. I was entranced. I had never seen anything like it. I remember loving pretty much everything on Tatooine the most. To this day, the twin sun scene is probably my favorite scene of all the Star Wars, and Obi-Wan's my favorite character. After that, I would watch A New Hope over and over and over. I didn't see Empire and Jedi until the special editions were released, and I still have the original special editions VHS box set, as do I, that I would watch as a kid. Pretty much every day after that, my brother and I would create our own stories with the action figures, and those are some of my favorite memories as a kid. And when the prequels came out, I loved those too. So much that we watched the VHS of The Phantom Menace so much in my grandma's house that we wore out the tape. It's like Yoda says, truly wonderful, the mind of a child is. More memories with action figures taken at home and telling your own stories. We all, uh, in one way or another, have written our own fan fiction. So when I see, well, you know, Force Awakens, Last Jedi, Rogue One, these are all, it's just fan fiction. Uh, Yeah, it is. Absolutely it is. We're all playing in George's sandbox. And that's what I did literally sometimes in a sandbox. Uh, I love the idea that Thomas is painting too. I was watching as a family. Uh, if you have that opportunity or have had that in your past, blessed with that, that is a powerful reminder of what Star Wars can do. Adam Taylor writes, A Lando Calrissian figure hanging from a peg. England, Great Britain, 1986. Or should I say, England, Great Britain, the world, the universe, 1986. I was five. I'd always known Star Wars, but it was a story I was told rather than remembering seeing on film, like the father, uh, like the father stable kids on Canto Bight. I was told the timeless magical story of the great Luke Skywalker. My older friends used their toys to show me his adventures, but the stories had become less frequent. The boys had taken down their C-3PO curtains and Jabba the Hutt bedsheets. The winter rains had washed the mud forts away, and the once white stormtroopers who guarded them. The glimpse I'd been afforded into this galaxy was no longer available to me. The AT-AT Walkers, the Ewok Village playsets, the Bespin Fatigue's yellow lightsaber Lukes had been boxed up, thrown away, or given to a charity shop. I asked for more stories, but the boys laughed. We play football now. We don't play with dolls. I'd resigned myself to it. Then one day, I was on holiday with my family, walking down the beachfront 
And there, glistening in the sun, was a return of the Jedi Lando Calrissian skiff guard disguise figure. Ah, oh, we all have seen that one. Right then I knew that it was uh, still alive and well. My first figure, my new hope, my inner thought whenever I find myself becoming jaded or forget how lucky we are as fans in 2018 before the internet, smartphones, a Star Wars film every year, hundreds of books and comics and a million TV ads. Star Wars was precious, rare, and cherished. I look back on that moment I set eyes on Lando, a spark of joy and hope. Adam, that's a great story. So, uh, so intricate, so detailed. And I love the connection to the Canto by Kids. Uh, that was part of what that moment meant. Like us out here, telling these stories for generations and generations. Luke, the great hero of the galaxy, just like people needed him to be. Oh, I could talk about that again and again. But I love this uh, focus on a particular figure, a particular moment as a Star Wars fan, where you're like, ah... This is mine. Belongs to me. And it's always going to be here. Uh, you're right. We're spoiled now at times. doesn't mean we can't criticize some of the things going on in 2018 as Star Wars fans. But let's not forget, it's all around us. We're swimming in it without fear of uh, shame, public shame, a reprisal. Um, you know, uh, there was a time when it was a dark wasteland. I do remember it, what Adam's telling, uh, this wonderful story of, of people... Friends putting away their toys. And I did it too. And I'm a big sports fan. I started playing baseball. It's when I started watching Star Wars less and baseball more. And I don't regret that. I'm a big baseball fan. Still am. But I remember at one point, right around the special editions, after the glow of Zahn's Heir to the Empire trilogy, which really did bring in a lot of Star Wars back to a lot of people, I remember thinking, no, the toys are coming back down. They've been down ever since, except for a brief, brief period in early uh, 99, 2000, uh, where my friends again encouraged me to put them away. Uh, that's the only way girls will like you. Uh, that's a false tale, a false narrative. It's not true. Be who you are, celebrate, and remember that moment you turned the corner and a Star Wars toy connected with you on a level you couldn't quite understand. Andrew Berger writes, I owe my love of Star Wars to long car rides and Timothy's on. There it is. My father was a referee for high school basketball, and he would drag me along on most of his trips around the state. The only music he had in the car was ABBA and the Beach Boys. Needless to say, 10-year-old me could only take so much of that without bouncing off the walls. One day, my father took us to the public library, and being a Star Wars fan, he checked out the Heir to the Empire audiobook to help pass the time. We started listening to it together on the next trip, and we quickly became obsessed. Those books really brought the two of us closer together, and those days are some of the fondest memories from my childhood. Love that. Again, father and son, parent and child. That is sometimes the core of what Star Wars is. It's what Lucas intended it to be. Uh, yes, a serial, modern-day epic Flash Gordon for George, since he couldn't do his Flash Gordon movie. I'll just make my own. But I really believe this is part of the core, a young kid looking out into the world, uh, a parent who has already made that transition into the real world, pulling you along and connecting over something. And the Timothy Zahn novels, novels, absolutely, even though I later on became less of a fan of the EU, uh, this was kind of the first first official big explosion, other than, the, of course, the uh, card game uh, that kind of started giving us names of characters uh, and started expanding the universe, uh, quite literally. Uh, Zahn... 
brought it back in a time when Star Wars was unbelievable to think now, fading. Eric Gaudet writes, 1979 Kenner Millennium Falcon, hand-me-down from an older cousin. I was only two when Return of the Jedi came out, so I miss the original trilogy in theaters, but I grew up on the VHS tapes. When I got that Falcon, I put the batteries in it. Batteries not included. The sound effects were so real to me, even though it basically sounded like a garage disposal. I didn't care. Jumping off off the bed with a Millennium Falcon, I was Han Solo. That. There you go, Eric. Great moment. You are Han Solo. You are Luke Skywalker. I get it if you're not a super collector. I know a lot of Star Wars fans who just aren't giant collectors of the toys. That's fine. I'm trying to pull back myself. I need some wall space. I need some closet space. But that is the power. That's why there are tears in my eyes every time I watch the toys that made us Star Wars edition. I've watched it four or five times, and I get misty-eyed at the end of every one. And that story Eric just shared, jumping off the bed with the Falcon, I was Han Solo. There was a lot of power in that. A lot of power in that force. Jeffrey Saunders writes, Vaguely remember seeing it at a drive-in during the first run of A New Hope. Ah, me too. I was only three at the time. Distinctly remember bits of the cantina scene in the trench run. By the time I was five, 1979, I was part of who I was. Toys, bedsheets, curtains, clothes, records. I even met Darth Vader and got his autograph at the toy store. I'm 43 now, but every time I see that iconic black screen with the blue words a long time ago, I turn into a kid again. Yeah, that's a great point, Jeffrey, because we're getting a Star Wars movie every year now for the foreseeable future, right, from, from this point on. Plus TV shows, comics, and books we, we mentioned already. And, and sometimes it's a lot. Sometimes I, I want to catch my breath. I want to read a book that isn't Star Wars. And I have that option. You have that option. We all have that option. But someone has asked me, some people have asked me several times, are you ever going to get tired of a Star Wars film every year? And while I can understand that in concept, what Jeffrey has said here is something that I would like to echo. When I see the Lucasfilm logo, when I see the words a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, every time I get excited. Will that ever go away? I honestly don't think it will. I honestly don't think it will. Matthew Z. Reed writes, By June of 2005, I had already become obsessed with Star Wars, and I can't remember distinctly when that happened, but my birthday is in June, and on that day, my dad took me to Toys R Us and bought me the first two prequels, a Kit Fisto, Plo Koon, and Kiati Mundi figure, and then took me to see Revenge of the Sith. It was one of the greatest days I've ever had, and I will always remember it fondly. It made seeing The Force Awakens 10 years later that much more sweet. And last year, I got to return the favor by taking my dad to see The Last Jedi, which for me was very emotional in itself. My spark for Star Wars has always been inside me for as long as I can remember. That's a great story. I love seeing that. I've seen that with a lot of people. Uh, a lot of uh, people I work with posting Instagram photos of um, Hector Navarro taking his father to see Rogue One and what a thrill that was. And his father saying, Diego Luna sounds like me. And having that mean something and, and connecting it because I'm sure Hector got that love from his father. I saw, I, I, I've seen Eric Ishii post stuff about that too. A lot of people in this space, yeah, we talk Star Wars, it's professional, it's a job, right? But it always connects. It always has a memory buried deep inside. And like Matthew says, the spark, it's always there. I think it just has to 
connect, and be brought out. It's, again, just like midi-glorians. Great story, Matthew, and I love uh, the uh, Kit Fisto, Plo Koon, Kiati Mundi figures. That's awesome. That's awesome. Melissa Nicholson writes... I, can't, I didn't see my dad much after he got back from Vietnam, but when he would come home, we always went to dinner and a movie. I remember he was so excited to take me to see Star Wars. He had already seen it and loved it, and I, in all honesty, had no desire to see it, but I wanted to spend time with him. So I walked into the theater with no expectations, but wow, I was drawn in immediately with the music and the opening crawl, and I ended up loving A New Hope. I wanted to be Leia, and I had a crush on Luke. I was hooked, and my dad made sure to come home and take me to see Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi as well. I was so excited to take my kids to see the prequels. We're all prequelists. And we still go together on opening night to see the new Star Wars movies. Now we have a family of four generations of Star Wars fans. Seeing the movies together are some of my favorite family memories. When people ask, uh, should Star Wars be R-rated? It's a fair question. It is an interesting question. I wonder what that looks like. But I still believe, I still believe Star Wars is a kid's movie. And I've said that here already. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. I think it's the core of it. And what Melissa's describing here, four generations of Star Wars fans, you should be allowed to continue that. Now, you know. Revenge of the Sith was PG-13. Last Jedi, pretty dark at times, but it was also funny. It was also cute. It was also Star Wars. So I'm okay with Star Wars growing up a little bit, but I never wanted to lose sight of what it is, and I never want to have a family have to decide, well, no, this is R-rated. You can't go see it. Now there's some violence in all the movies. I mean, again, The Last Jedi, uh, Kylo Ren putting a lightsaber through a Praetorian guard's head. That's pretty violent. Um, but the overall idea of needing a, quote, adult or R-rated Star Wars, I don't think we need it. And Melissa's story, to me, highlights why. Great stuff, Melissa. Thank you for sharing your family's story. Kai Thatch writes, My first spark was seeing the Phantom Menace trailer for the first time in the theater. I was familiar with Star Wars before, but it didn't really interest me. As a kid, the original trilogy just looked, quote, old, like old movies to me, and that was appealing. But when I saw the trailer, it was flashy and loud and had cool special effects. I heard the booming Williams score, and I saw this weird creature with horns, with martial arts skills, light up a double-edged lightsaber. It caught my attention, and I needed more. Fast forward to seeing the Phantom Menace in the theater, being blown away by the duel of the fate scene, and a Darth Maul poster hanging on my wall. The love is reignited every time I watch that film, and it is why I will, it will always be my favorite. Hashtag prequelist. Kai, that's a great story. Darth Maul. Darth Maul. He is a Hall of Fame Star Wars character to me for a lot of reasons. And yes, that sometimes is the... Uh, base level connection to the Phantom Menace for a lot of people who don't like the movie or wouldn't call themselves prequelists, which again is totally fine. If you don't connect, you don't connect. But Darth Maul rose above a lot of the, the problems of the Phantom Menace. Now, 
we will tell you here in Force Center. There's a lot of things you can connect with, and we, we just recorded our Phantom Menace commentary. It's going to be released soon on Patreon, and, and uh, yeah, we, we we go deep as we do. Joseph's so great at finding the inside in, the, in, in some of the, the moments. It's stuff that even, even, even now I hear again and go, oh, I, I didn't even see that. So all that stuff is there, but I think Darth Maul, as indicated here by Kai, rises above that because he is above all other things. So Star Wars. That is a Star Wars thing. A cool villain. Great music playing behind him and a great action sequence. Vader had it. Maul has it. I think Kylo Ren has it. It's a part of Star Wars. You need that. And that's why Darth Maul should be a poster hanging on a lot of walls. Carlos Carmona writes, My early memory of Star Wars that sparked the fire was seeing episode four and five come on TV around Christmas time around the early 80s. Then, of course, the toys. Being a poor Hispanic family, there wasn't many toys I had. I made use with the Star Wars toys my parents and even aunts and uncles bought me. One Christmas, my dad and my grandfather each got me Return of the Jedi Luke Skywalkers. I felt rich to have two Lukes. I figured I was the only one in the world making up my own Star Wars stories with these toys. Good to know that somewhere out there, Ken and Joseph were doing the same thing. Carlos, what a a great story. What a little moment where you felt Star Wars was your own thing. Which is both good, and at the time, you know, it's it's kind of almost tragic in a way. That we all, at one point, felt we were on this island. And that's what I love about this. That's what I love about uh, current media now. Yes, it's accessible. Sometimes too many voices can be heard. But now, we can reach across the world. We can reach across time, in a way, to go back. And now, Carlos, you are rich. You were rich. You had two Luke Skywalkers and all the imagination in the world. And so do we. And so do we now. And we were all together in this big Star Wars family. Love that. Chris Alexakos. Chris, Chris, Chris. He's a good uh, good follower, good supporter, and I, uh, I've had a chance to meet him in person a few times. So, Chris, I'm glad you're uh, sharing a story here. He writes, One of my first memories was going to the video store and renting Empire Strikes Back. I must have been six at the time. Mind you, this is one of the two video store stores in my small Greek rural hometown. So obviously it blows my six-year-old mind. And when I learn that there are others, I go back to get them. I go with my dad to rent A New Hope, but the trailer lets me know that we have already rented this movie two years ago. My dad, of course, as any physically responsible dad to a toddler would do, tells me not to rent the same movies twice, and thus begins an epic screaming match between me and my dad, as I am sure that I have never seen the movie. Eventually, he relents. Yay, toddler screaming power. And I am watching A New Hope. When at the end, the memory starts coming back of the movie, which I actually saw two years before. The fight between Vader and Obi-Wan. The Death Star blowing up is practically in my DNA. I <laughs> love that, Chris. And having met Chris, he is such a, a uh, nice, polite, soft-spoken gentleman. To see him in a video store at a small, rural, Greek town. Star Wars is truly worldwide. Screaming and getting his way. And not realizing he'd already seen it. That's uh, something I love. Uh, you know, I have memories before it really clicked in, before you become a certain age. And for me, that was probably seeing Jedi in the theater. But prior to that, I've always said before, like, I thought I thought the Battlestar Galactica was Star Wars. I, I didn't quite remember, but I had these memories. I had these things probably from commercials and the toys. And having seen A New Hope at one, obviously I have no memories of that. But I, I still believe on some magical DNA, midi-glorian level, it was always there. It was always there, like Leia says. 
I've known. Somehow, I've always known. Andrew Sinar writes, This was a lot easier to come up with than I thought. I might be of the, quote, prequel generation, and I've loved those films since the day I saw episode one when I was eight. But my first concrete memory of Star Wars is a special edition re-releases a couple of years earlier. I went to this shabby, even for the 90s, theater in Elk Grove, Illinois with my dad. Being six, I didn't understand why my dad got all teary-eyed when the binary sunset came up on the laser disc at Grandma and Grandpa's house. Same goes for a lot of the, quote, traditional big moments of the original trilogy. So my big moment in that uncomfortable seat in that theater at Elk Grove, Illinois, all those years ago, isn't what a lot of people talk about. Episode 4, A New Hope. The ragtag rebel fleet is set to charge headlong into the jaws of death. Red leader comes, accelerate to attack speed. This is it, boys. Gold leader responds with, red leader, this is gold leader. I copy, gold leader. We're starting for the target shaft now. We're in position. I'm going to cut across the axis and try and draw their fire. Cut to X-Wings rolling in with that magnificent trumpet in the score, punching out the rebel fanfare. Andrew continues, I can't get enough of it. Ever since then, I've been a sucker for any heroic charge, or rather the moment before the heroic charge in anything, especially the times in the other films, like in The Return of the Jedi with Lando before diving into the Death Star 2 superstructure, or Poe's Fly Straight at him, Don't Let These Thugs Scare You, or Tally's dialogue at the beginning of The Last Jedi. That's right, mine too. Bombers keep that type formation. Fighters protect the bombers. With a series of shots showing each ski speeder pilot on crate, I could go on and on. Basically, that's my old standby response to why do you love Star Wars so much? Absolutely. There's something to this. Uh, Last Jedi, you know one of my favorite moments? There's a lot of moments I could choose from Last Jedi. But it's when Luke slowly, yeah, force-projected Luke slowly walks out there. The music that I love so much. The new, uh, part of the new music from Last Jedi. Dun, 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 dun. Done. And Luke, not crunching the salt on crate. The image, really, of Luke walking out. It's the moment he's still behind the now-destroyed shield door. The smoke there and the walkers in the distance. I love the moment when he faces him down, but it's the moment before. And I know what you mean, Andrew. That's why I do really legitimately love that moment with Tally Lintra. And that moment with Poe. It is the moment that, I'm not joking, could actually bring tears to my eyes when the profundity, led by the great Admiral Raddus, jumps out of light speed in Rogue One. And he announces, this is Admiral Raddus of the Rebel Alliance. It's help. It's heroic. It's a charge into a near-death situation. It's a charge into the doom to save others. People who run in while others have to run out. It's something that is deep in Star Wars. It's something that's there. So, is it fan service when Gold Leader pops up in Rogue One and says the same line? Red Leader, this is Gold Leader. Yeah. I'm so glad it's there. Because it connects to something in A New Hope. Connects to something through all of Star Wars. It is that modern myth. It is that moment. Andrew, I'm right there with you. Something powerful about it. Jared Kozel writes, 
I was seven years old and living in Iowa City, Iowa. If I was aware of Star Wars before, then I don't remember it. And I absolutely loved outer space. I was devouring any books on planets, the solar system, and the stars that I could get, could get my hands on. Anything that took place in space was the coolest thing ever for me. And one of those things was the Starship Enterprise, which I'd seen in brief glimpses from syndicated reruns of Star Trek The Next Generation on TV. I didn't know any more about Star Trek than Star Wars, but I liked that ship. So I asked my dad if we could go to Toys R Us and get a toy version of it. When he took me there, as fate would have it, all of the Enterprise toys were sold out. But what they did have was a TIE-advanced prototype Starfighter, complete with a miniature Darth Vader figure to place in the cockpit. The moment I made... I laid my eyes on the curved wing to that design. I was in love. This is what I wanted. I didn't know what it was from, so my dad had to explain the difference between Star Trek and Star Wars to me. The Force was with us when it came to timing. This was December of 1996, and the remastered special edition of A New Hope was about to be released in theaters the following January. My dad took me to see it the weekend it opened, and I was transfixed, particularly when I saw the full-size version of that tie-advanced my new favorite toy, roaring down the trench of the Death Star with the Dark Lord himself behind the controls. I knew Vader was a bad guy, but to my seven-year-old mind, he was the epitome of cool. With the coolest damn ship in the galaxy, all apologies to the Falcon, my love for that ship developed shortly thereafter. I couldn't get enough of Star Wars from then on. My gateway drug, Star Trek, was almost entirely forgotten. My dad brought home VHS tapes of the original theatrical versions of all three movies, and my sisters and I proceeded to wear them out over the next two years. At ten years old, I was in a perpetual state of Star Wars-loving bliss when The Phantom Menace arrived in 1999, and I was the perfect age and frame of mind for it. My love for the saga as a whole was cemented on that day. Now, in addition to Luke, Vader, Han, and Leia, I had Obi-Wan, Maul, Anakin, and Padme, along with a whole bunch of cool new ships to assess over. I couldn't imagine anything better. Funny story, he adds, when I first saw Amidal in the posters in her ceremonial getup, I thought she was the primary villain of the movie, Maul's master, because I knew Maul was a bad guy, and he also wore face paint, didn't know there were tattoos at the time. Ironclad logic, when I saw Padme without the makeup, it blew my tiny mind, and I promptly fell into the ten-year-old version of love, just like little Annie. My love for Star Wars has evolved and grown deeper since then, but any time I see Vader's tie advanced, X-1, roaring down that trench, I remember the toy that started it all, which I've sadly lost, and think to myself, there goes the coolest ship in the galaxy. Jared, recently, because of a move, I had to get rid of my original Kenner Y-Wing. I had to toss it. It was just too broken. I couldn't keep it. It was getting ridiculous that this broken, beat-up thing had to go. I have a picture of the box the day I got it for Christmas. And that is what's going to have to be locked in my memory banks. But here I am at 41, moving into a new apartment, already just adorning it with so many Star Wars toys, and I thought, I, I can't do this. I can't. But the foils, the S-foils, are with the version of the Y-Wings there, are broken off. The cockpit was broken off. I, the blaster was broken off. The, the landing gear didn't work. It was beat up. It literally was just a hunk of plastic. But that was my first big Star Wars toy. When I talk about the Y-Wing being my favorite, the workhorse of the Rebel fleet, that's all true. That's things I believe. But at the core of that, it's because at about seven or eight years old, brand new shiny Kenner box. 
I was raised in a lower middle class family. I didn't get a lot of the big shiny Kenner boxes. It was the big one I had. And that Y-Wing, every time I see it on screen, even the prequel version, uh, see it again in Rogue One, the Gold Squadron showing up, uh, Empire Strikes Back, when one flies in front of the camera at the end of the movie, a little part of me goes, yeah, it's the Y-Wing, man. And I still remember that box. Jeff Steffens writes, I remember being eight years old in 1997, visiting some family over the summer. One day my uncle had asked if I'd ever seen Star Wars. I had no idea that he was talking, what he was talking about, so he proceeded to rent all three movies for me, and I watched them all in one day. It was part of my life from that day forward. The next day, I remember my grandma taking me to the store to get my first Power of the Force action figures. X-Wing Pilot Luke was my first one, and I still have them. Two years later, on a May Friday night, my dad told me we had to go to the hardware store. As a 10-year-old, I had no interest, but I had to go. Lucky for me, my dad had tricked me and took me to see Phantom Menace instead. It will always be one of my favorite memories of my dad and Star Wars. And Jeff, you're going to have that memory forever. You're going to have it forever. And I love families passing this down. Grandma taking you to get your first Power of the Force action figure. And the first one, again, X-Wing Pilot Luke, and you're connect- connected with that. And you still have the figure, and it means something. It's more than a collectible. It's on a shelf. Even if it's beat up and broken and the nose is missing, it is not just your childhood, not just nostalgia. It is your imagination up there, represented in a form. Antonio Escutia Jr. I remember sometime in the 1980s, the Muppet Babies had a clip of Star Wars in its intro. At the time, I didn't know that it was Star Wars. All I knew, all I knew was that it was cool and I wanted to watch more. If I remember correctly, it was a TIE fighter, even maybe Invader's TIE Advance, shooting its green lasers, and I was mesmerized by it. I believe in one of the episodes that a clip of the trench run, and I was even more intrigued. Then later in the late 80s, it must have been six or seven years old, they aired Return of the Jedi on the TV, and I finally had seen the TIE fighters shooting their green lasers, and I was also introduced to the little murder bears called Ewoks, and I loved them. But I didn't see the scenes I'd witnessed on Muppet Babies. There was a similar trench run, but it wasn't the one I remembered. It wasn't until later. I don't remember if I finally seen New Hope aired on TV or if it was my brother had purchased the VHSs. When I finally watched that awesome scene I'd witnessed on Muppet Babies... I was hooked to Star Wars before I even knew that it was Star Wars. Again, the DNA. I've known. I've always known. But I love that Antonio mentioned the Muppet Babies. Muppet Babies, they're making the dreams come true. Muppet Babies, a Saturday morning cartoon uh, in the mid to late 80s, was amazing. It was great. It was fun. I've grown up on the Muppets, grown up on on Henson Studios' work. Uh, It's one of my memories of my childhood was watching the Muppet Show in the late 70s with my father. The Mandrell sisters had their variety show after. Um, But Muppet Babies, I've had this discussion with Mark Ellis over at Schmoes and Collider. Um, Muppet Babies deserve some credit some credit for stoking the flames of Star Wars love in a lot of people. 
They had a couple of great Star Wars-themed episodes, and Antonio's memory is, uh, is, is right. It's accurate. It, it's foggy in my brain, too, what it actually is, what it, whether it's an intro or not. I can't remember. I'll have to look it up on YouTube. But it's there, and I remember every Saturday morning, and I think they did some Indiana Jones ones as well, but the Star Wars ones. I remember every Saturday morning hoping that I was either going to see that episode again or that they were going to do another Star Wars-themed Muppet Babies. Uh, there's something about it. It deserves credit. It is definitely a little tiny chapter in the Star Wars fandom history, part of the Star Wars lore as fans. And I'm glad Antonio uh, mentioned it there. And I love, the again, the idea of when you're young, things things are kind of formed in your mind. Am I seeing that thing? What am I? What's going on? Uh, and you watch Return of the Jedi, and you know, nope. What I saw isn't here, but it's kind of here. And I like this just as much as I like that other thing. It is truly in you. It's part of your DNA. The last one I want to read here. You guys have shared some wonderful stories. I hope I've done you justice with uh, reading them. And I hope you guys out listening there, Force Center, have your own stories and want to share them as well. Uh, you can do that. Final one here. This is from Tampa Movie Guy. He writes, 77 a crawl, a Star Destroyer, a lifetime obsession. And I think that is it in a nutshell. That is all these wonderful words that you guys have written and shared with us boiled down to four quick statements. 77, a crawl, a Star Destroyer, a lifetime obsession. I am sometimes envious even though I was there swaddled in a little uh, cloth, a little baby's blanket, in the back of a Volkswagen van when my parents watched it, I am slightly envious. It's one of the only times in my life I want to be a little bit older than I am. Of the people who saw Star Wars and could process it, could remember, uh, had that feeling. I've heard Sam Jackson, Samuel L. Jackson, describe the feeling of seeing that Star Destroyer come over the screen for the first time. I have some friends of mine who are, are older Star Wars fans, and to have them, they, 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 you, you knew something had changed. Something had changed. This was something we hadn't seen before. Star Wars A New Hope has stood the test of time, but I understand from a certain point of view why George Lucas wanted to make special editions, wanted to make changes. If you go back and watch the original versions, if you have copies of VHS tapes or the laser discs or whatever you do, or it's been passed down by generation to generation on a copy, uh, copied format somewhere, if you've seen the original version, they are great, they are glorious, but they were made in a warehouse in Van Nuys in 75 and 76. They were made... Uh, with problems all around them on sets. They were saved in the editing room. I can understand why George Lucas himself would look back and go, oh, I wish I could do it again. And now that I can, I'm going to try. It's why, even though I, as I said earlier, has some issues with some of the changes, some of the things I do not like. Um, I always go, you know what, though? I understand it. The movie stands up, but the little details were made in there of its time. But like Tampa Movie Guy says, it was that immediate. It was that powerful. It was a sea change in cinema. A sea change in modern storytelling. A sea change in what you can do. Like Josh said earlier, Luke loses his hand in Empire, and you're convinced it's real when you're a young kid? That is the power of cinema, the power of storytelling. 
Star Wars is just a silly space opera. It is just a silly little story in space. Laser swords and ships. We all shouldn't get so moved by it. We all shouldn't get so angry when people have different uh, opinions of it. And that's all true. Debate and speculation is part of the fun. It's what I did in the playground. No, Han is better than Luke. No, what are you doing? Darth Vader, he deserved it. No, Darth Vader didn't. All that stuff that we now talk about on podcasts, it has existed from day one. Star Wars is just a silly little space movie. And it's worthy of some jokes. It's worthy of being made fun of. It's worthy of some holes being poked in it. But you should never forget what it did in 77, the changes it brought, and what it will do to you now. It is connected deep inside us if you feel it. And if you don't, if it's not there, you're a casual fan, no problem with that. I'm sure there's something else you connect with. But for those of us, the Star Wars nuts, the Star Wars fanatics, it will always be there. And we can always look back to that first moment that it connected and lit the spark of love. I want to thank you. Uh, thank, I want to thank everyone on our Patreon page who took the time to share their stories. Uh, it is uh, very humbling for you guys to do that with us here in Force Center. We love it. We've got a little community building over there. If you want to check out patreon.com slash center, please do. We're adding a Discord server. All that kind of stuff's coming. Uh, we appreciate your support. But your support is also just listening. Your support is uh, sharing with us via Twitter at Four Center Pod on Facebook, Four Center Podcast. Uh, you can uh, write us there. You can use the hashtag Spotlight Star Wars. You can use the hashtag Four Center for the main show and share your stories as well. We are all Star Wars fans. We all have a story to share, and though they're similar, they are also very unique. Guys, that is it. That is Spotlight Star Wars for this week. I hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you next time. May that Force thing kind of, sort of, always remain around you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.